But when I heard this fellow speak of these five A's, it made so much sense to me. And I discovered that day, this was my true addiction. I needed every one of these five A's. I craved them. I needed those to find peace within myself. When I didn't have the five A's working for me, I felt as though I was not enough. Has your marriage been shattered by sexual betrayal? Are you wondering if there's any possible way to save your marriage, or even if you want to? Is there just the tiniest glimmer of hope that you and your spouse can work it out, but you have no clue how or where to start? Hello, and welcome to Beyond Broken Vows podcast. We're your hosts, Johnny and Emily Spiegelmeyer, two formerly seriously broken people who have been called by God to share our story of redemption and the hope that lies within every story that's fully surrendered to God. And we have been where you are, my friends. As a result of adultery fueled by pornography, the marriage vows we had exchanged as newlyweds were eventually shattered. However, we are here together to let you know that this devastation we experienced was actually a gift. On our show, we will be sharing the resources we found invaluable on our road to reconciliation and recovery. We'll tackle the topics of marriage, faith in God, infidelity, porn addiction, and recovery. We will also be taking questions from you, our awesome audience. So if you're ready to move from pain-filled todays into hope-filled tomorrows, grab your favorite beverage and spend a little time with us. We want you to know that your story matters and that there is hope for your marriage through Christ Jesus. Marriage is redeemed. Hearts renewed. On Beyond Broken Vows podcast. Hello, and welcome back for another episode of Beyond Broken Vows podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. So Johnny and I have been focusing on the topic of porn addiction as it pertains to the effects on marriage, and we'll be continuing this conversation for a few more weeks. And we have a special guest coming soon to wrap it up with us. We mentioned last time that today we would be discussing the feeling that we're not enough. This is actually a very common feeling among humans. But we're going to be coming at this from the angle of how it played out for us in our formerly broken marriage, right? Right. I'm excited to talk with you this week, Johnny, to hear your perspective on this topic. And next week, it'll be my turn. And I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. So in our marriages, when there is sexual betrayal that's been fueled by pornography use and or addiction, it's easy to only focus on the outward behaviors because they're so painful and destructive. But what if there was something deeper under the surface that you're unaware of? What if the addiction was only the evidence of an underlying problem? Would you be willing to explore that possibility? I'm a recovering sex addict with over four years of sobriety, and I'm grateful that I discovered that there was something insidious behind my acting out behaviors. This realization really became the framework for the best work to begin on my recovery. Today, we're going to unpack my aha moment and uncover some of the deeper origins that led to my true addiction, which had manifested itself in pornography addiction and ultimately culminated into extramarital relationships. I love aha moments. But before we get to that, Johnny, would you please start us off with a prayer? Yes. Father, thank you so much that we can be here again today. I pray, Father, for your mercy and love and your grace to cover all of us as we talk over this topic, that those who are hearing what Emily and I have to say today, Lord, that it would settle in, sink deep, 
if it hits some things that need to be addressed, I pray, Father, that they would listen to what your Holy Spirit is saying. We ask, Lord, that your presence would go with us as you help us to walk through this idea today of when we feel like we're not enough. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Johnny, so before we get to that aha moment, I want to take you back to early on in your life when you were a young boy and how you felt like you weren't enough back then, because you've talked to me about that before. You've said that you felt like you weren't enough pretty much your whole life. That's right. What did that look like when you were a kid? Wow. You're going to make me go all the way back there, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's only fitting that we do go back that far because that's really where it began. Everything I understand now about my addiction, I can trace back to some abandonment issues from when I was a child, a young boy. But I want to just stop and say right here, I was not abandoned, not by my mom, not by my dad, and not by my family, nobody. But one thing that had occurred started that snowball as I trace everything back. My mom worked as a nurse, and she stayed home with me uh, after I was born. She put her career on hold for the first four years of my life, and we made a big move from Ohio to Texas when I was four, just before I turned five years old. And then after moving to Texas, we settled into one place for about a year, and then we moved again. And moving is hard on a child. It can be when you're trying to understand your world, but as long as you're with mom and dad and with your older brothers and sisters, because I'm the youngest of four, then everything's going to be fine, right? I was a little further behind. I was four years behind my next sibling in age. But we got to this new house that we were in, and it was time for my mom to go back to work. There was a need for the extra income to be able to support the entire family. So my mom went ahead and made the decision to go back to work, and I was put into kindergarten at our local church. And I just remember feeling terrible every day. I hated being there, and I was just terrified. I remember being terrified going to kindergarten every day. It wasn't because there were bullies there or mean teachers there. Every teacher was mean because they weren't my mom. (laughs) And so when I had to learn how to obey and conform to the class, these became things that I didn't like. I just knew that I wasn't at home. I knew I didn't have my mother with me. And my older siblings were going to school and they were living life. They were growing up and their lives were busy. And as older siblings are, their lives don't really get too involved with the youngest of the children. When we were in that new neighborhood, I got connected with a group of kids that were on that street that we lived on where I grew up. And so this friends group, I say friends with quotey fingers flying up in the air right now, but these were the kids that I I started falling in with because I didn't have anybody else to spend time with. Again, nothing against my family. They were just living life. They were good people. But I did fall in with this friends group and The more I got involved with them, the more I wanted to be like them, because most of them, they were a little older, too, and they were cool, so I thought, and they cussed, they used bad words. (laughs) And so I started using some of those bad words. My family is a church family, so I never heard or 
used words like that until, you know, five, six years old. And here I am, I'm starting to use them so that I can fit in with the kids. This became kind of a typical behavior of me doing all kinds of things to fit in. Uh, shoplifting, that became one. Uh, smoking was another. I, I smoked from the time I was nine until I was 13. And I got started on that because of my friends group. They showed me how to do it and got me the cigarettes. And I decided, well, if this is what cool is, I'm going to be the best at it. Mm. You know, shoplifting, I was pretty good at it. And so my friends would want me to go into the store and go get them something. So they were actually sending me to stores on errands to get things for them and I could get them. One of the things came out for bragging rights for me is that I was the ramp to ramp bicycle jumping champion of our street. It wasn't just jumping off of one ramp and landing on the street. It was all about hitting that other ramp successfully and not dying on the other end. And I excelled in height and distance, but I had many, many busted up bruises and body parts to prove it and busted bicycles. But the need to be approved by them was high. And so I was driven. Mm -hmm. But that would go on further into my growing up, which started into some of my uh, early sexual experiences. As girls started becoming interested in me, and some of them were quite forward, and I wanted their approval too, I ended up getting involved with them sexually as well, starting as early as 13 years old. But I wanted to pause and remind everybody by this time I had already viewed pornography because that started when I was eight years old. So this need for approval from my friends group and from my peers was alienating me from my family, plus the shame and the guilt that I felt over the pornography that I had viewed that was from my dad's porn stash. And I never told anybody. This was kind of alienating me. So as I'm working and finding my own friends group and looking for approval and through all of this time, I'm never feeling like I'm enough. I have such a low self-worth now as I go back and look at it. Again, when I was a younger boy, five, six, seven, eight years old, it was not uncommon for me to be screaming at my family in fits of rage. Nobody wants me. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares for me. I do want to assure you, our audience, that this couldn't be further from the truth. I was loved. I was wanted. And people did care for me. But this sense of abandonment left me feeling as though that were not true. So I just had this very low self-worth, which was driving that need for approval from any other source that I could get it from. And so you can see how it's possible that by the time I get to be 19 years old and I'm marrying you, that my mind is already not working correctly. Although I didn't know that. You seemed like a really fun, gregarious you know, person. Of course, you were rough around the edges, and I was kind of into bad boys myself because yes. that was kind of the opposite of my upbringing. And so I was attracted to that, but I didn't see anything in you that led me to believe that you had all this underlying angst going on. Right. And that's such a good point that you bring up because there was a pivoting point around the time I was 12, 13, 14 years old when I had gotten to be so bad with my acting out behavior that my friends group, the ones that I was doing all this for to gain their approval, I was out of control and they didn't even want to be around me anymore. Wow. 
And so I learned a different way from an older boy that was sort of a mentor, kind of like a big brother. I saw that he spoke well and that people responded to his charismatic personality. So I learned from that and I adopted that charismatic personality. You and I have learned to call it my gregarious personality because it went from charismatic to gregarious because I was just so out and so loud. And this became the persona that covered over all of the hurt and the pain from the shame and the guilt of the pornography of being molested as a young boy by an older boy in that friends group, by the way. And then also to cover up the fact that I was disowned by my father verbally when I was 18. And more pain inside of that was my teachers, because of my acting out behavior, pronouncing to me that I would never make good anywhere, that I would never be worth anything. And so all of this brings me to where I'm marrying you now, but you give me such a sense of worth and value. And you made me want to be different than I was. I wanted to give up the dirty language. I didn't want to look at pornography anymore, and I didn't want to date any other girls. I wanted to spend time with you exclusively. And something about being with you made me just want to be a better man. And you also met somebody else at that time, too. Who did I introduce you to? Uh, Yeah, you did. You introduced me to Jesus. And through you, I came to know Jesus as my Savior greatest thing that could have ever happened to me. Second to that is meeting and marrying you. And that's definitely the right order. And guess what? I am really glad that I married you too. So now that I'm married to you, and you do have such a high set of morals, you have such a high set of values, and you were raised in a very distinctively Christian, Jesus-loving home. You see, I was raised in the church. We were in church every Sunday without fail. There were no vacations. There were no sporting events. There was no trip to the lake, no barbecue, none of this. Every Sunday we were at church. I did enjoy some of the parts of being in church, but Jesus was not talked about as somebody you can have a relationship with. That was never taught to me, not through my church and not through my family. And it wasn't actually until in my teen years when my sister, she herself became saved at one of our local churches, and she brought me to the church. Well, this was a charismatic church, and yeah, it was way weird for this Lutheran boy. <laughs> right. But you had this high sense of morality and this Christian upbringing, and it really didn't take me long into our marriage to realize that I can't measure up. I used to joke and laugh it off that I married out of my league. You know, lots of guys, we say that. Somebody will say, well, you got yourself a great wife there. And I say, yes, I truly did marry out of my league. And it's an easy way to say it. But internally, what I was feeling as a truth was that I could never measure up to you. Not that you had to. Right. And that's part of the problem. There was never a need to measure up to you. I was just meant to always be there with you. Right. So as you're going through our marriage and starting to feel more and more like you don't measure up, and then on Discovery Day, the things unfolded that you had been involved in for most of our marriage, the pornography and the extramarital relationships. Right. 31 years. We, We just time warped 31 years. Yes. So after you repented of all of that and you became free of all the guilt and the shame and you started recovery, 
you had this aha moment about what your true addiction really was. Can you tell us about that? Yes. It was such a powerful moment for me. I was about seven months into recovery. I go to a weekly recovery meeting, and the format is such that one of our members chairs the meeting, presents a topic relating to our addiction, and then we share on that. During one of the shares, one of the fellows in the room mentioned this thing called the five A's. And I'll just tell you right now, the five A's are affirmation, attention, acceptance, approval, and admiration. This was the first time that I had heard these attributes tied to my addiction. These are attributes. I want to say that because we're going to outline them right now as a part of my addiction. But these are quality attributes for normal people to have. I say normal, meaning those who are not addicted. But when I heard this fellow speak of these five A's and how it spoke into the addiction and how it played out, it made so much sense to me. And I discovered that day, this was my true addiction. What was your true addiction exactly? I needed every one of these five A's. I craved them. As we were just talking about my younger years, I needed approval. I needed to be accepted. I needed attention, affirmation, all of this to combat my low self-worth. And I'll say this, the need for admiration, I don't believe that that emerged until I got older, until I got involved in ministry, and I actually started doing good things. Then folks who were older than me, either physically or older than me spiritually, were just commending me on what a wonderful work that I was doing, how well I spoke, my knowledge of Scripture, and my ability to be able to communicate that to others. Just such high remarks that I was honored to receive. But the more they did it, the more I craved that admiration. As I started to unfold the reality of the five A's and my need for them, what I also came to learn was I needed them in order for myself to find peace. You see, everybody likes to be affirmed. Everybody likes attention of some sort. Even if they're introverted, they do like some forms of attention. But everybody likes acceptance and approval, and some even like admiration. But I needed those to find peace within myself. Understanding this as my real addiction helped me to understand that when I didn't have the five A's working for me, I felt as though I was not enough. So when you were doing things to gain approval from other people, you weren't actually doing it for the pleasure of another person. You were doing it to seek that peace for your own soul, correct? Right. And that sounds heinous. I can understand exactly how that sounds. We know a lot of people who say, yeah, I'm a pleaser. I'm a people pleaser. And people-pleasing sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? It does. But if somebody has a characteristic of people-pleasing because it helps them to feel better about themselves, then it's actually not a good character trait. It's something that you're using in order to feel better about yourself, and you're going to the wrong place to get your peace. That's great. And you just used the word using. Again, 
it's such a heinous thing to say it that way, but in this action, in my addicted mind, I was using other people in order to soothe my internal self through affirmation, attention, acceptance, approval, and admiration. My high need for those put me in a place where I would seek out opportunities to get those five A's fulfilled in one way or the other. And for me, that looked mostly like being a really helpful person. You did drop everything to help anyone in need, and you would give people the shirt off your back, basically. Yes. Always available to do whatever was needed. Worked really hard at the church. You would even remodel the church, and then you would lead on the worship team, and you were on elder board, and the list goes on and on. You were always in the mix because you were always available to be helpful. That became a drive in you to feed those five A's in your soul. That's correct. So you said you felt like you weren't enough and you were seeking all of this attention and admiration, etc. What was really going on underneath all of that? It was fear. I feared so much not being accepted by people. I needed approval so much that it became a fearful thing that if I didn't meet this approval, I wouldn't feel like I was enough in the shame and my low self-worth would bubble up and I would just feel horrible about myself. I was in a heightened state of self-pity and feeling sorry for myself pretty much at all times. And self-hatred too at times, didn't you say? That's correct. And that condition, not just as a heightened state for my life as I walk through each day, but pretty much for my entire life as well. Fear is not from God. It is not. It's from Satan, and he had you in a fearful state your whole life. So all of these things that you experienced through your whole life, the fear, the not feeling like you're enough, trying to gain all the approval and the five A's, tell me, what was that? It's all lies. My conclusion of this matter through my recovery program is that this is all lies. I do not need approval from anybody else but God and you because you're my spouse. I do need your approval every day. <laughs> and if there's going to be some kind of a fault in that, that's where I'm going to err. I need to be affirmed by you. And I need affirmation from God. He's already given it to me. He tells me wonderful things about me, about being fearfully and wonderfully made. He approves of me, and so do you. And at times, you've even been able to say that you admire me. That's humbling especially after all the trauma that I have caused. Very humbling. So if those were all lies, what do you do with that? Yeah, well, you work the truth. The truth is the only thing that combats lies. Jesus showed us how to do it in Scripture during his temptation. Right. You know, Satan came to him, and he tempted him with the three big things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All those things that we deal with on a normal basis, but it's included in Scripture so that we can see how Jesus did it. He combated it with the truth, where Satan was presenting half-truths. Jesus would conclude the matter, quoting directly from Scripture, and he did not take matters into his own hands, but relied on the written word. And we were left with that same written word that we can rely on it today. I had to put some truth statements into my life. We've talked about these on previous episodes before. I am accepted by God. I am approved by God. I am forgiven by God. God loves me for who I am, 
and not what I do. Also, these are the same truths about you. You accept me. You approve of me. Mm -hmm. And you love me for who I am and not for what I do. And the more that I rehearse that truth, the more that it sets in. And it has set me free from the need for all five of these A's from other people. I no longer need them from others. They're now in alignment in the right place. Now, some of these statements, they were aspirational before they could become inspirational. What do you mean by that? An aspiring statement is something that says, one day I'm going to be like that. An inspirational statement puts hands and feet to action. It's something that you do in order to make that reality. I can say that I don't want to be a liar anymore. It's an inspirational statement to say, I'm not going to tell a lie anymore. I have an affirmational statement that I learned also through recovery from one of my brothers. I am an honest man that will always tell the truth, whether it hurts me or somebody else. Now, I don't use the truth to hurt others. There's a saying out there that says, say what you mean, mean what you say, but never say it mean. Ooh, that's good. I wish I could say that I came up with that, but somebody far more clever than I did. Okay. Well, you mentioned some scripture earlier. We did find a couple of scripture verses that go along with all of this. Right. What is that first one, Johnny? First one comes out of Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. This is God talking with Cain. And Cain is kind of upset because God didn't think very favorably on the offering that, that he brought. He favored his brothers, Abel, over Cain's. And Cain is not feeling very good about this. God responds to him in Genesis 4-7 and says, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must master it. There's so much wonderful truth in that. We spoke about 1 Corinthians 10.13 last week. Uh, No temptation has seized you except for that which is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is Cain's 1 Corinthians 10.13 moment here. God has given him a way out. You can master this desire you have to be better than your brother. Because sin wants to carry your desire away. We talked about that from that passage in James, that you're carried away by your own desires when it's matched with temptation and sin is born. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. So this is such a great way to look at it. We must rule over our sins. So all the years that you were not doing what was right, sin was crouching at your door and did trip you up. Absolutely. And there's another interesting thing in there. It says, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. Remember last week when we talked about James, when your desires meet temptation, that's when sin comes into play. But sin has its own desires. Sin's own desires want to carry you away with it. Sin always takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, and costs you more than you wanted to pay. It is so important that we consider our actions, match them up to Scripture. And if you disagree with Scripture, there's a chance that you're not in the right. Oh, big chance. It is assured. (laughs) I'm being kind. Yeah. Okay, Johnny, what's the other verse that we found? 
This one's going to be an affirmational one, and it's not generally one that is spoken of as an affirmational verse, but it's in Psalm 8, verse 4 and 5. And it says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care so much for them. You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. So those of you who are listening today, this is what God thinks of you. You are wonderfully made. And all things that want to lead you to believe otherwise are the lies. Yes, that you're not enough because you are enough in Jesus' eyes. Amen. And because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Exactly. Because when God looks at my sin, he can't see it because Christ is standing in the way with his sacrifice. Yes. Praise God for that. Amen. With that in mind, Emily, would you close us in prayer today? Yes, I certainly will. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the truths of Scripture that combat the lies of Satan. We are just in awe of how you have created us and how you have given us everything that we need to be set free, that you love us enough to have sent your Son to die for us, to cover all of our sins, and to give us every tool that we need to fight the enemy so that we can live a victorious life, free from sin, free from fear, and free from guilt and shame. God, we are just so grateful that you have provided every need. You have given us the five A's in spades. We don't need to seek it elsewhere. We just ask that you would help us to remember this on a daily basis. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you, Lord. Okay, in recap, the whole point of this time we spent here today was to bring attention to beliefs and mindsets that can lead to addiction. Not everything that I outlined that was true of me is true of everybody else. But the point in bringing this out is that if all of this behavior, this addictive behavior is there, there might be something that's behind it worth looking into that will become the clear path to helping you unfold and setting this abusive, self-destructive behavior behind you once and for all. The addiction and the acting out are just symptoms of a deeper issue. Understanding this can lead the betrayer to a place where they can heal, and the betrayed can find some capacity for compassion. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Johnny. What we would like to suggest to you today is that you just take some time to pray about and ponder this information. You know, God might be trying to tell you what's behind the destruction in your life and in your marriage, and he has all the answers. Thank you, Emily. So all of these things that we talked about today, the five A's, my feeling not enough, my acting out, all of these contributed to you feeling that you weren't enough, mm. which we will talk about next week. So until next time, marriage is redeemed, hearts renewed on Beyond Broken Vows podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. And before you go, if this podcast encouraged you and you're feeling some hope for today, please share this show with someone else you know who is going through a similar situation and needs to know that they're not alone. One of the best ways you can help us reach more people is to leave us a written review on Apple Podcast. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. And as always, we would love to hear questions from you that we can answer in our midweek show. 
just email us at support at beyondbrokenvows.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.